The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're having a little bit of a warmer day than we are today in Pittsburgh. Probably cold is not the right word. Frigid may be a better word because we're having a cold one. But hey, winter is here, right? And everyone knows... I like winter. Yes, I love snow. That's why my nickname is Frosty. But I have to say today it's a little bit extreme, but, hey, you can always wear warm clothes, right? Well, I have to start the show today by a special shout-out to my close friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, I know you're listening right now. I just want you to know we love you. And today, I just taught the Bender Lead On team, and they love you. So I just wanted to thank you once again for your support of young people living with disabilities. And I want to remind everyone, if you go to the ADA Legacy Project or ADALegacy.org, we're celebrating now. We're getting ready for the 25th anniversary of the signing of the ADA Go check it out and buy a T-shirt today. So many things have happened since then. One, of course, is all the strides we've made in communication for people with disabilities, and that is why I am very excited to have Don Clay back with us today, who is the executive director of NCART. And I am going to let him explain this, but first I want to say, Don, Thank you for being our guest, but also thank you for everything you're doing to help people with disabilities. Great, Joyce. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for the opportunity to, to be a guest on the show and, and also uh, kind of tap into your winter theme. Uh, I'm actually calling from the sunny uh, skies of uh, Buffalo, New York, and we've got uh, part of our city got hit with about two feet of snow last night in a with the lake effect snowstorm, so we can definitely relate to the uh, the coldness that some of the other cities are enjoying. Wow, um, you really got a lot of snow. Yeah, it's one of those unusual things this early, but uh, but we uh, we can handle it. So, um, oh, that's why I always say people from Buffalo, you know, in Pittsburgh, when you go to different cities, like one of my favorite cities, D.C., if there's like one particle of snow, everything shut down. Welcome to Pittsburgh and even more Buffalo. That's where, <laughs> hey, unless you get like six inches, it doesn't seem like a lot. Isn't that right, Don? You're exactly right, Joyce, exactly. So, um, But, hey, yeah, definitely um, appreciate the opportunity and had a, a few things uh, that, def- uh, that I, I'm looking forward to discussing. But to start with, as you mentioned, uh, I'm Executive Director of NCART, uh, N-C-A-R-T, which stands for the National Coalition for assistive and rehab technology, and as you can see with that kind of mouthful, that's why we use the acronym NCART. 
Um, but what we are is we're an organization that focuses on uh, protecting advocacy uh, or adv- advocating for access to what we call complex rehab technology. And in simple terms, those are things like specialized wheelchairs, uh, seating systems, and other adaptive equipment such as standers and gate trainers that people with uh, disabilities use uh, in a variety of situations and for a variety of uh, uh, reasons. And we're uh, primarily, uh, our membership consists of manufacturers and providers, and we work along with uh, consumer organizations and other advocacy groups on both the federal and state level to make sure that the funding that's available for these items and that the coverage policies that exist allow people to get what they need, you know, based on their um, their particular situation. Well, just to get into this a little bit uh, deep deeper, uh, let's go through it. Okay, I'm a person. Of course, everyone knows I'm a person living with epilepsy, but uh, envision. If I did use a chair, um, when would I need you, and what type of chair would that be? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because the you know for someone that needs mobility assistance, whether it's a manual and let's talk about wheelchairs. Certainly, there's other devices like walkers and canes and things, but we focus on more of the higher level needs of people. So if we're looking at a uh, specialized manual wheelchair or a power wheelchair, the, the process that someone goes through to get that would be, you know, working with their physician and their uh, therapist, typically the physical therapist or occupational therapist, along with one of our members, which would be a uh, CRT company in their area, and they would work on determining what the person's medical needs are, their functional needs, uh, the settings that they uh, operate within, you know, the home setting, uh, potentially the work setting or school setting or other social settings uh, and determine what type of technology from a, the wheelchair perspective and also from uh, any sort of seating system they may need to help them with pressure relief or to maintain the proper posture. Um, our members are, play that role where they work with the clinical team, the physician and the therapist to identify those things. So what our association does is we try and work with the policymakers, uh, and again, that could range from members of Congress to uh, Medicare officials or Medicaid officials or other third-party insurers to make sure that the coverage policies that determine what kind of equipment someone gets um, are appropriate. You know, that they're, if someone requires a high level of equipment uh, and some specialization, that there's funding for that, uh, and, and that can be a challenge in today's healthcare environment where certainly we as a nation are looking at controlling healthcare costs, which is a very important objective, but what we need to make sure of is that in that process, uh, people don't, uh, we don't eliminate uh, the ability for people to get what they truly need. Well, for example, is this all wheelchairs, like, or is this just the power wheelchair or a specialty wheelchair? Our focus is more on the, the specialty wheelchair. So if you're looking at a, an ultra-lightweight wheelchair that um, has all sorts of uh, adjustments in terms of 
the angle of the uh, the wheels and how someone would propel themselves uh, because depending again on the person's needs and where they uh, are using their wheelchair, uh, if you've got someone that's using their wheelchair, you know, 16 hours a day and leaving their house and going to school or going to work, um, the the importance of that wheelchair being configured to their specific requirements so that when they're pushing that wheelchair, uh, the uh, efforts they're using are is being maximized. So the energy they're using to push that wheelchair is being maximized to give them the full potential of uh, of that push. If you think of someone pushing a hand rim, well, that all starts with the wheelchair being properly configured to them. So the right size wheels, the angle of the wheels, uh, and other types of things, the angle of the actual frame of the wheelchair. So there's a lot of detail that goes into making sure someone uh, gets the right wheelchair and that wheelchair is then properly configured to them. So in the manual wheelchair, you're looking at things like uh, obviously the size of the wheelchair, but also the configuration of the angle of the chair and where you want to position the wheels. And if you're looking at a power wheelchair, you're then looking at things like, um, you know, what um, type of control does the person need? You know, are they able to, do they have good hand control so they can operate a simple joystick? Or if they're um, they need to control the wheelchair just by movements of their head. There's specialty controls that come into play for those chairs. So those are the, the chairs that um, our members and our association focuses on. It's not your standard type of chairs, which certainly are important. And in fact, you know, if you look at Medicare, for example, um, probably about 90% of the wheelchairs that Medicare pays for would be considered standard wheelchairs. But that other 10% are really the the wheelchairs that are more sophisticated and require uh, a great deal more of service and support to make sure the person gets the right device and more importantly that that device is supported once the person starts using it. And how long does that usually take, Don, if you need a new wheelchair? It depends on, uh, certainly on the insurance uh, that the person may have. You know, if we talk about the, the basics of the process, and so if someone determines that they, um, and let's take if, if it's the person's first wheelchair, and uh, let's take an example of someone, for, for, example, for example, has is in a car accident, they have a spinal cord injury, and now they require a wheelchair. What the process would involve working with their physician along with uh, a therapist, an occupational or physical therapist typically, um, along with a CRT company. Uh, the CRT company has the, uh, they're, kind, they're really the technology experts, so they would set up an initial meeting where the person would be there along with the, the therapist, sometimes the physician, sometimes the uh, physician may or may not be there uh, at that first meeting, but certainly the individual that requires the wheelchair, their therapist along with the CRT provider, and typically the person there will be what's called the assistive technology professional or ATP. And this is a person that has uh, evidence, uh, provided evidence through taking a test and through work experience and continuing education that they have an expertise in the field of seating and mobility. Um, so they would meet with the person. Um, the first meeting, you may have some, uh, a couple different types of wheelchairs you may try. 
uh, obviously you'd have some discussion about what the person's looking to do, uh, and you really try and assess what are the medical needs and what are the functional needs, and then what are the limitations that need to be overcome. Um, so you have that initial evaluation, and then from there you're going to determine what the recommended equipment is. Um, once that's determined, there's documentation, which can be fairly extensive, that is created by the therapist and the physician, um, along with uh, some assistance from the uh, CRT company in terms of the, the type of equipment we're recommending. Basically, the provider supplies the technology solution, and the clinical team uh, supports that with the medical justification. Um, so you've got the documentation process, and then from there you have the uh, the chair has to be ordered, and typically you may be ordering parts of the uh, wheelchair system from several different manufacturers. So you may have the wheelchair from one company, uh, the person may need a pressure-relieving cushion. Uh, that would come from another company. Uh, they may need some other supports uh, that would be part of the chair. So sometimes with these specialized wheelchairs, it's not unusual for you to be getting equipment from seven or, different, seven or eight different manufacturers. Uh, once that equipment comes into play or into uh, the location, it's assembled, and then there's a second evaluation or fitting that's scheduled, um, and then, again, depending on the person's complexity, you might be able to deliver that wheelchair and finalize things in that final visit, or there might be one or two uh, fittings, if you will, to make sure the person gets the right wheelchair and um, that they're comfortable with it and that they're properly trained on how they can get the most benefit from it. That process... Wow. You know, yeah, this is what very, I call involved. Yeah, it is. It's very involved, um, and, you know, typically... I would say from start to finish, you know, you could be looking at um, probably anywhere from 60 days on the low end to potentially uh, four or five months, depending on um, the uh, funding that's available and the approvals that need to be uh, obtained before the equipment uh, can be finally delivered. But on average, you're probably looking at somewhere from you know, probably a 60 to 120-day time period. Um, but going beyond that is not unusual. Oh, um, my goodness. Yes, I've seen that. I've seen that with some of my own employees. And listen, yeah. we're going to talk a lot more about this, but we've got to go to break. If you just joined us, I'm talking to Don Clayback, the executive director of Incart. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. Voiceamerica.com. 
At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you just joined us, we're talking to Don Clayback, Executive Director of Incart. And you know what, Don? I didn't. You know, I, I realized I didn't even ask you. How did you get involved in all this? You know, how did you get involved in the disability community? Sure. No, that's a great question, Joyce. Actually, I got involved uh, in high school. If you want to go back that far, um, where uh, I did some volunteer work. Um, we have, as I mentioned, I live in Buffalo, and at that time we had a, a very large uh, developmental center in town, and uh, my family was was fairly active in doing some volunteer work there, and so that was probably my first exposure um, to uh, people with disabilities, and um, you know, it was I, I just found it very rewarding to work with folks and um, to do things, uh, you know, that. Uh, I think just helped better engage them in the community, and and certainly I got a lot out of it too. And so that was kind of through my uh, high school and a bit of my college career. And then uh, business-wise, uh, I actually was out of college, was uh, uh, majored in accounting and worked for a uh, public accounting firm here in town. And uh, my uh, uh, then father-in-law had a business in town, uh, a, DM, a durable medical equipment company. And I uh, joined that business and ended up running that for 10 years, and that was my um, involvement on the business side. So I actually worked as a provider of this equipment, uh, and we were a Buffalo-based company and you know, had a long history of, uh, I think, a good history, a good reputation. Um, and then after that, uh, I've been active in the industry now for, um, well, let's say I've been in the industry about 28 years, if you start with me joining uh, the uh, company here in Buffalo, and um, now I work on the advocacy side. So I've been spent time as a provider, and then worked for a couple of other industry groups, 
and then joined NCARD about uh, five years ago as executive director and now focus strictly on the advocacy side. And how did you like that, moving into advocacy? Uh, I enjoy it. I, I do. I like the business side, um, but the reality is for um, the, to, to help promote the industry, if you will, um, and while that may sound business-oriented, you know, my position is, you know, for people that rely on this equipment, you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, uh, uh, any other device, whether it's a car or the washer machine or, you know, other things people depend on, you know, for people to uh, get the most out of their life, uh, they have to be able to get around. And so um, advocating to promote access to this equipment, I think, is critical because of some of the challenges that were being faced. So I actually find it enjoyable because I, I still work with uh, many of the companies that uh, are active in the industry, and, and frankly, they're very generous supporters of NCART so we can continue to focus on our advocacy work. Um, but I find it's, it's helpful when I'm working with policymakers that I know both the business side um, and the, uh, uh, oper- the operational side. So when we talk about how we can preserve access, I think I've got a pretty good perspective uh, that allows me to be um, you know, very factual and, and hopefully collaborative with you know, the policymakers who have their own concerns. Right. Well, that's great you're doing that, Don, and we appreciate everything you do for people with disabilities. But I want to get right into a very hot and timely topic, and that is H.R. 942. So let's start here by you telling our listeners what it is and what's going on. Great. Yes, uh, and I would agree with you completely that that is certainly our hot topic. Um, because of, as I mentioned, the fact that this, these specialized wheelchairs um, and other adaptive equipment um, are often overlooked and they kind of get lost in the broader healthcare scheme, we saw actually about four years ago um, problems that were developing on both the federal and state level where this equipment and the coverage of it was being jeopardized. Uh, and in, in many cases, it wasn't necessarily an intentional thing, but it was just the fact that the specialized items were, the access to these items was being compromised because of either payment cuts or coverage cuts. And as I mentioned, when we look at just Medicare, you know, 90% of the Medicare wheelchairs fall under that standard category, but there's this 10% that is more specialized. So there was a group that got together, and so now when I talk about we, I'm not talking about NCARD. I'm really talking about a steering committee that got together that had representations both from the providers and manufacturers, but also from the clinical community and the consumer community. Uh, and there was a steering committee that was created that has representatives from the uh, United Spinal Association, from uh, RESNA, which is the Rehab and Engineering Society of North America, uh, from the American Association for Home Care, uh, from NCART, from the National Registry of Rehabilitation Technology Suppliers, and from the Item Coalition, which is a, a broad cross-section of uh, consumer-oriented groups, got together and said, well, look, if, if we're going to solve some of these problems, how best can we go about that instead of doing Band-Aid approaches on a state-by-state basis? So long story short, there was uh, studies done, and we had some consultants on the policy side uh, 
do some research for us, and they said the best route would be to develop legislation that would create a separate category for these items within the Medicare program. And that's what H.R. 942 is all about. The bill numbers are H.R. 942, and there's a companion bill in the Senate that's S948. Uh, and the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the title of the bill is the Ensuring Access to Quality Complex Rehabilitation Technology Act. Uh, it was introduced in Congress last year, uh, and thank to a lot of folks' support in all those communities. I mentioned the consumer community, the clinical community, uh, and the providers and manufacturers. We've made some good progress um, in getting, we've got about 160 House members of Congress signed on, and we have uh, 21 senators. And the bill, the bill is um, fairly straightforward, and I'll try and just simplify the terms uh, but I'm happy to, and I will mention a, a website as we move through the show that has a lot more detail that people can go to. But in simple terms, what this does is it creates a separate category for these specialized items. And then it sets up some specific safeguards around them. Because one of the things we're trying to promote is not just to protect access in terms of coverage and funding being available, but we also want to make sure that people that use this equipment are getting it from companies that are competent so that there are certain safeguards around the companies that they have qualified people, that they have the right infrastructure in place, um, that they have uh, the people that are directly interacting with the person have the experience and training, and they're keeping that, uh, that training in, uh, uh, current from, through continuing education. Uh, we also are looking at making some changes in coverage. One of the things that's embedded in the Medicare program currently around medical equipment is what's called the in-the-home rule, which basically says, and I shouldn't say it says this, the way it's interpreted by the Medicare folks is that they only look at the person's needs for equipment within the four walls of their home. So if someone needs something outside their house, that's not taken into consideration. Um, and we could spend the show talking about how that is a, a really just an outright misinterpretation of the law, but that's what uh, the Medicare currently interprets that as, and so that's why we're, we're making that change. Um, we also are looking at uh, enhancing some of the controls around requiring a therapist to be involved in the evaluation so that people, make, so that, people that are getting wheelchairs have the advice of some someone with some medical expertise. Um, particularly, this was around some of the, you know, the 1-800 TV commercials that everybody has probably seen over the last many years. I should, say at the, should have said at the start, these wheelchairs are not those chairs you see on TV. Um, these chairs are provided in a different model, and again, they're, they're used um, in a, uh, uh, they're used in different ways, and frankly, some of those TV advertisers have created a lot of uh, problems relative to access because there was some uh, fraud and abuse that was attached to um, some, of those, uh, some of those areas, and we are constantly kind of battling that. But again, the legislation is to improve safeguards, set up a separate category, and the idea is if we can get this bill passed for the Medicare program, these improvements 
will then flow through to some of the other insurers like Medicaid programs and other private payers. Well, what what would happen if that did not get passed? Well, if it, it does not get passed, there's going to be a continued deterioration of access to these items. In other words, um, because these specialized items are included in the same category as more standard items, when payments are cut or when coverage is cut, um, it has a much more dramatic impact on this small population of specialized equipment and, frankly, also the small population, relatively small population, of people that use it. Um, And if there's not a recognition that this equipment needs to be protected uh, and that the... um, there's a reason that it has been structured the way it is. In other words, there's specific codes for this type of technology. If that distinction isn't preserved, you're going to lose the ability to access the specialized equipment. And all that's going to be available is the more standard type of equipment. And as I mentioned, for a lot of people, the more standard equipment is, is adequate. Um, and that's a good thing. But if the specialized equipment eventually disappears, people that have a higher level of disability and they require a higher level of technology just plain aren't going to be able to get what they need. And it's going to compromise you know, their ability to really function and be independent um, because they're going to be dealing with more standard equipment that isn't going to be as individualized to whatever their particular needs are. You know, for example, if someone, you know, has, needs a specialty control, let's say a head control to operate their wheelchair and to be able to uh, um, get around on a daily basis, some of that technology is going to disappear um, because there's not going to be payment for it, uh, and that person then is going to be uh, left without, you know, that, uh, the benefit of having that um, more specialized uh, equipment. Which would be so terrible. Let, let me ask you this. Obviously, there is very new and sophisticated uh, chairs for people with more significant mobility issues. Do people know about that? I mean, people with disabilities, do they know about all these uh, opportunities for, for these different uh, chairs? That's, that's a great question. And I, I would say... Um I, I'd, I'd kind of probably have to qualify it, you know, maybe, you know, depending on the person and how active they were. Um, I think certainly the manufacturers and the providers like to promote their products to their customers, which are the people that use the wheelchairs. So you have kind of that promotion, if you will. But, you know, it isn't like, you know, because of this small market, it's certainly not like people see ads, you know, in on the TV or in, in you know, local newspapers. So, what you really typically rely on is you, if you're working with a, your medical professional, um, if you obviously have friends, I think probably one way that probably is very common is as people are um, interacting with their peers who are also using wheelchairs, you know, just like anything, someone gets a new wheelchair and now I'm you know, having lunch with him and he's telling me about the new chair and what it does, 
that's you know it's given me that awareness. So then, next time I need a chair, uh, you got to replace my chair. That's something I'll look at. Um, and then there's also uh, from various consumer groups and also some of the publications, uh, the magazines and things that are put out through uh, the various consumer organizations tend to publicize you know publicize that through some of the advertisements. But um, you know there's not it's not as uh, uh, as, as prominent as you might like. So certainly when someone is looking for a new wheelchair, you know, I'd encourage them to you know, take advantage of the Internet. There are certainly some good consumer-oriented sites that I think do a good job talking about technology. Um, and then, frankly, you know, the company that uh, somebody has gotten their wheelchair from, um, assuming they've been happy with that company, you know, they're a great resource to find out what's new and different out there. Wow. I mean, there's so much going on, isn't there? There is, and, and one of the challenges when we talk about technology, and this is where, you know, this is really, a, I, I believe, a significant consumer issue, is that if we don't protect this segment of healthcare, this segment that focuses on assistive technology, business is going to have an incentive to produce new and better products. Because the reality is, you know, there is a business aspect to this. And, you know, for companies that are doing research and development, they're only going to do that where they know that they can sell their products. So, you know, if I put my businessman hat on, you know, this is another reason why we need to provide this protection, not to protect companies per se, but it's really to protect the research and development so that there's a continued investment in new technology so that people with disabilities can take advantage of that and really leverage that technology to be, you know, more engaged in in their communities and everyday life. Well, how difficult do you think it's going to be to get this passed? Well, that's a good question. On the on the plus side, we've gotten very good support. You having 160 members on the House side and 21 senators is is a very good showing. We also have very good quality um, around the um, type of members that there's some key committees within the Congress that focus on Medicare. On the Senate, there's the uh, Finance Committee and the uh, Health Committee. On the House side, there's the Energy and Commerce Committee and the Ways and Means Committee. We've gotten very good representation there. The bill has very good support from the um, um, both sides of uh, Congress, both the Democrats and Republicans. So we've gotten good progress up to this point, but it, it's kind of like you know, you're at the 20-yard line, but those last 20 yards are going to be the most difficult. And so what we need is people... Um, to contact their members of Congress and let them know that this bill is important to them. And, and I'd encourage people, there's a lot of information on a website that I mentioned, the steering committee that we've created. Um, the website is www.access2crt.org. And so it's the word access, the number two, and then crt.org. Um, that has a variety of inf- background information that will give people the talking points that I've been covering. It has the position paper and actually has a legislation package that company that individuals one can download and read for themselves, but then more importantly, they can share that 
with their members of Congress because that's really what we need. We need, you know, people in Pittsburgh and Buffalo and uh, Fort Lauderdale, you know, to call their members of Congress and say, you know, I use a wheelchair. People in my family, you know, if someone in the family uses a wheelchair and that they rely on this equipment to participate in, in everyday life and this legislation needs to be passed to protect access to that. Um, and if we can do that, um, that's really what we need. We need to do more of that. Um, and then the bottom line to your question is, it's tough getting anything passed in Congress right now. I mean, the reality is um, Congress is not the most uh, efficient or effective organization. Uh, I think we probably all would readily agree to. Um, but they still are, um, are looking at things. As I said, our bill has gotten good support. We need more comp- members to... Uh, uh, or more individuals to contact their members of Congress. And then our bill, which is a very small bill, will then get attached to a larger piece of Medicare legislation, and then that's what will eventually come to the uh, floor of Congress for a vote. So um, we have a few things. We, we have some, a control over some things, and that basically is people calling their members of Congress and making sure that they either have signed on to the bill and there's, there's a list of who signed on on the website I mentioned. Or if their member hasn't signed on, you know, ask them to sign on and help get it passed. Well, there you go. I was going to ask him what we could do to help, but you just told them. If you're listening right now, nothing happens without you. You know, we can sit around forever and complain about, oh, why don't we have this, why don't we have that. Then you have to do something about it. Trust me. Those calls, those emails, those letters, they make a difference. So you've got to pick up your phone, and Don, what do you want them to say? Uh, I would say that you'd like to ask them to support legislation uh, and mention the bill numbers, H.R. 942 or S948. And again, that information is on the website. I think you'll find that very informative. You also can send an email directly to your member of Congress through that website. And again, the website is access to the number two crt.org. And you'll find a lot of information, but ask your members, tell them why equipment is important to you and um, ask them to sign on to the bill. And, And Joyce couldn't have said it any better. I mean, we've seen... I mentioned those 100, so we've got 181 members of Congress that have signed on, and I can tell you, you know, every one of those was signed on through a personal outreach by someone in that member's district. They didn't, that didn't happen automatically. It was several people making calls, sending emails to their members of Congress, asking them, and following up to make sure they signed on. So it's just like a sales process. You want to you know, tell them what you need and then follow up until they give you the order. And you know what? Um, and, and I know that when I tell them, like sometimes people say, oh, but what will matter with me? Every call matters, right? Exactly, Joyce. And I've been, you know, I'm, you know as I mentioned, we've been working on this for the past almost two years now. And, and I can honestly tell you, I, I would probably share a few things. One, it can be a little frustrating at times because you're working through a very big bureaucracy, but I've seen time after time the member is impacted by that outreach from somebody in their district. That the reality is, you know, those members work for you. Um, I think in spite of all the challenges they face, 
they do want to do a good job. And so if you can get your message to them and make it personal, you'll be surprised at their response. And the good news about our bill is, as I mentioned, we've gotten very good support up to this point. It's not a partisan thing, so it's, it's not controversial. In simple terms, it's really about helping people with disabilities get the equipment they need. And once you convey that message and you personalize it, that's what will get people to think about it when it comes up for a vote. And you have all these other disability groups behind you? Because I'm just wondering, anyone listening that maybe is the CEO or executive director of a not-for-profit, can they do anything to help? Yes, that's a great question, Joyce. Thanks. And we do have, and again, on the website, when you go and download the, the, uh, the PDF that is our legislative package, and it, it it's just eight pages. It's not a lot of detail. But one of the pages lists the organizations that have signed on. We've got over 50 national groups that have signed on. And again, it's a cross-section. We have the American Academy of Physical Medicine. We have the American Association of People with Disabilities. We have the uh, uh, Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, the National Council on Independent Living, the National Disability Rights Network, the MS Society, the United Spinal Association. So we have a very good... I think representation from the national groups, but on those local levels, whether it's chapters or local organizations, if you could reach out to your members and let them know about this legislation, and I'd also be happy, you know, feel free to contact me directly, and I'd be happy to help facilitate that, but if you could make your members on a local level aware of this and then have them reach out to their representatives, that can pay big dividends in terms of getting this moving forward. And what about, like, people in the private sector? Uh, same thing. You know, really, the members of Congress, and that's really what our focus is, what we're looking to do is to tell your representative that this is an important bill. Um, and, and your perspective may, is going to be different. You may be a business person. Uh, you may be a consumer. You may be a family member. Um, whatever your perspective is, it, to me, it's really kind of, you know, I don't think you could come up with something that, you know, isn't more all-American in terms of, you know, this is about helping people with disabilities get the equipment they need so they can be more fully engaged in their community. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm going out of limb saying I think that's something everybody would be supportive of. But the unfortunate thing is we see in a lot of other areas, even though that's a noble mission and people agree with it, you need to push people to do something about it. And in this particular sense or case, what we're asking people to do is members of Congress to pass this bill, and, and that will happen if we can um, get enough people to talk to their members of Congress. Absolutely. I have no doubt. Well, right now we're going to go to break before we come back to close the show. If you've been listening... We've been talking to Don Clayback, Executive Director of Incard. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Don. News. 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 News.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com if you have a question or comment call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now please welcome back the host of disability matters here's joy spender welcome back we're talking to don clayback the executive director of in card. And we've been talking about HR 942, SR 948. Um, Dawn, just to make sure, two things. Number one, that, the, that everyone understands different groups this impacts, and the website again. Could you go over that? Sure. Um, on, yes, in terms of the impact, as I mentioned, you know, this is focused really on the Medicare program and creating this separate category. And it's not, you know, we're not adding a new benefit to Medicare, and that's one of the things we talked to Congress about. We're not really asking you to cover more things. We're just asking you to create this separate category so these things can be better managed and there can be better safeguards put around them. Once we get this in passed and it is then implemented in the Medicare program, we need to get the same concepts embedded in other payer policies. So whether it's the state Medicaid program or whether it's uh, managed care organizations or other groups, this is really the first step of that overall process. And in fact, we actually have gotten legislation passed in several states already because we're kind of working in parallel, doing things on a federal level and on a state level. So we're um, kind of working on, on both of those fronts. But this really has broad benefits to anybody who uses specialized technology. So irrespective of who might be paying for your equipment, um, if it's gotten through a third-party funding source, this is something that you uh, want to be uh, interested in. Um, 
And then a, a reminder on the website, because there's a fair amount of detail here, and what we've done through this website is we've tried to simplify it. As you go to the home page, you'll see there's a little narrative, and there are several documents that you can download, and there's also a link that you can email your members of Congress directly. And again, that website is www.access2crt.org. Access, the number two, crt.org. Uh, also, if need be, the NCART website, I'll just throw that out, is www.ncart.us. And that has information about our organization. But the Access to CRT site, it's, it's, I've called it a non-denominational site. In other words, there's... You know, you won't see advertisers, you won't see promotions. It strictly is meant for advocacy. Um, and there's also a section there that if you want to be updated on progress as we make that, you can give us just some basic information and you'll receive uh, advocacy updates. And again, don't, you know, we're not, you're, it's, it's uh, very uh, uh, confined to just advocacy material. So those are things, because this, this initiative that we're dealing with on a national level, we need to be doing this on a lot of other fronts because the challenges to this equipment is not going to uh, decrease. In fact, it's going to probably increase. And listen, you should tell other people about this show. Uh, this show, as you all know, is archived at BenderConsult.com, VoiceAmerica.com. But if you go to BenderConsult.com, first of all, it's open caption for all my friends from the deaf community, and you would be able to go and read this show. So that's great for people who are deaf, but guess what else? You can hear this show. So I'm telling you that so that if there's someone and you feel like, boy, I would, wish they would have heard this show, they can hear it because it will be archived on my website, www.benderconsult.com. Hey, uh, Don, wow. This has been really great. And I have to say, you know, when you gave your background before, you've already accomplished so many things in your life. But if you had to think of one thing that you are the proudest of, what would it be and why? Well, um, I guess I I tend to probably drop the business side. And I guess on a personal side, Joyce, I'd I'd probably say I've got three great kids that – are uh, two out of college, one uh, halfway through that um, uh, I'm very proud of, and um, uh, I'd say that's probably the my greatest accomplishment to date. So, um, and I'm I'm very happy to be able to list that as an accomplishment. Oh, that's wonderful. How about in work? What would you say? I think really our legislation, um, what we're doing here, you know, being able to introduce this legislation, you know, two years ago or a year and a half ago. Um, it's been a great accomplishment because it really has, I think, brought together a lot of the groups, as I mentioned. You know, we, as we all know, we all have different perspectives. We have business people and consumers and clinicians. And while everybody has their own um, uh, priorities, there's a common goal, which I think relates to making sure this type of equipment is uh, available to people. And through this legislation, just getting something introduced in Congress was quite an effort, and the fact that we've been able to get this uh, support created, I think, is is a great testimony to everybody's collective efforts. Um, but hopefully, if you ask me that question next year, you know, I'll be able to tell you that the biggest accomplishment was getting this legislation passed. So that's really what we're focused on. Yes, I hope. Th- I hope 
You will be able to say that. You know, you're a very passionate, determined person. I wanted to ask you something that I sometimes ask listeners. Who was your role model? Oh, wow. It's, um, yeah, I probably would say, um, you know, there's a couple people. I, I had uh, both an uncle and a, a, a fellow actually I worked with uh, in college, uh, high school and college, uh, a fellow who had his own business had been were probably good role models for me in terms of uh, work ethic, um, and I've also got a, a very large uh, extended family, and uh, they they're very big on uh, I guess advocacy in a very broad term. So I I've got several that I've kind of followed their lead to help other people and to bring people together to make things happen because I think that's uh, that's really what it takes. So I think those. So that type of person is who I've kind of modeled myself or used as a model anyway. So, Well, if you had to, um, and that it, you know, whoever they were, they definitely did a good job with you. Um, if you had to leave a message for our listeners today, what would it be? Um, I would say, you know, recognize the importance of your voice, you know, from an advocacy perspective. Um, and I, I say that knowing everybody has a lot of daily challenges that they're dealing with, so it is hard to, you know, pick up the phone to call your member of Congress um, or, or take initiative on another type of issue. But I think the, um, you know, the importance of people taking that time to make that phone call and to make that outreach is critical because um, if we don't collectively come together, and obviously we've got our legislation, but there's a lot of other issues around disability rights and things that, um, you know, frankly are under challenge, uh, don't underestimate your individual voice because it can be powerful and certainly collectively that's what's going to make a difference. And, and Joyce, you mentioned the ADA. I think that's a great example. And we got, you know, the 25th anniversary coming up next next year. So I think that'll be a great rallying point for people to hopefully see what happens when when people come together and also see, you know, that there's still work to be done. That's right. That's right. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Don. Thank you so much for being with us today and providing all of this great information. You're very welcome, Joyce. You know, just today, I talked to these young people with disabilities, and sadly, what has happened is many of them have lost their belief in themselves. And we talked about a lot of things today, but I told them this quote is one of my favorites, and I end, as you know, every show with a quote from someone that has impacted the lives of so many. So today that is Helen Keller, who said, Never bend your head. Hold it high. Look the world straight in the eye. This is Joyce Bender America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 